Welcome to the Sisters in Service podcast. My name is Kat Corchado, also known as the voice connecting women veterans nationwide. This podcast is for anyone connected with the military, from veterans, male and female, military spouses, military brats, even parents who may have children who are in the military. As an Air Force veteran, I understand the trials and triumphs that women veterans go through in service and out of service. And so I wanted to find a way that I could put it out there into the airwaves and let everyone know what we're going through and find a way and a solution to what's happening to us in the service. I also like to highlight these women who are business owners, they're entrepreneurs, they're bosses in their business. And so I hope that you will follow me, you will share, and you will subscribe to this podcast, which comes out every week on Tuesdays. And as always, please stay safe, take care of each other until next time. And it's never too late to start your impossible. Welcome sisters in service to another episode of the podcast. My name is, of course, you know me, I'm Kat Corchado. And my guest today is Lieutenant Colonel Retire Kathy Lowry Gallowitz. She's a third generation veteran, Air Force. She did 30 years. She's founder and CEO and chief innovator of Vanguard Veteran. And we're also going to talk about her book, Beyond Thank You for Your Service. So please help me welcome Kathy Gallowitz. Hey, Kat, thanks for having me. And hello to everybody who's out there listening. Hope you're having a great day. Well, it's uh, just a pleasure to have you. I just wanted to um, have you on because of we had a long conversation a while ago, and I thought, okay, she's she's got to be on this podcast. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I, I loved hearing some of your podcast episodes and some of your interviews and just thought the same thing about you. I thought, man, she's doing great work and I'd love to, you know, talk, chat more and get to know you and support you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your support. Um, so let's talk about your service. I always ask this question, did, did you pick the Air Force or did the Air Force pick you? I picked the Air Force pretty much from a, a logical standpoint. Can I tell you about that story sure. a little bit? All right. So I grew up as an active duty Navy kid or as a Navy brat. My father was a pilot and a communications engineer. I had uh, gone to a French speaking preschool in Paris, France, graduated from high school in Iceland. Dad moved me in the middle of my junior year in high school and then uh, went on to go to college in Germany. And so before the age of 35, I'd lived in at least 20 different countries. But back to why the Air Force. So honestly, uh, through my dad's experience in the Navy, I thought, you know, I love being by the water. I mean, I just love the ocean and just enjoy water. I'm an avid swimmer, et cetera. I love boating. But honestly, as a gal, I thought, you know what? If I join the Navy, um, I'll probably meet some guy. He's going to be gone at sea all the time or a lot. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's what I thought as an 18 year old. Right. That's what I thought. And, and then, um, as I started evaluating the different services, to be frank, uh, I grew up with go Navy beat army. So the army wasn't, wasn't at the top of my list. Again, <laughs> a, a youthful thinking, right? Seriously, seriously. Um, and so the air force, I looked into the air force and it turns out, that they were 
able to offer me a pretty good deal. I, I, I was a brand new nurse and oftentimes baccalaureate prepared nurses come out of nursing school feeling pretty uncertain about their clinical skills and need a little bit more time to get their feet under them. And so the Air Force had a six-month internship rotation at Wilfrid Hall, the largest hospital in in the Air Force at the time. And so I thought, well, that'd be really great. I could, you know, explore what kind of setting I wanted to be in, you know, test my skills a little bit more with under supervision kind of thing. And, And not only that, it was a big hospital. San Antonio is a great place to live, you know, landlocked, of yes. course. But but, but the other piece was they were offering nurses at the time. Uh, within two years, you could get promoted to captain. And so usually I think it took twice that amount of time. So it was, it was a great and easy decision for those reasons. And my father fully supported it. So it was, it was no big deal. And um, I, I, it was an easy decision. Of course. So I chose the Air Force. So So you weren't, no, that's okay. Usually people say, I I just walked into the first door that, you know, (laughs) that's how they get into the military. So you put some thought behind it, but I was going to ask you, what year did you go? Did you actually uh, go into the military? 1981. Oh, so you were, you went in a little bit after, because I went active duty 1980. Oh, so we were in at well, the same time. I didn't say yeah, 30 pretty, years, but <laughs> well, pr- pretty far apart. And, you know, part, part of this story that's kind of fun is that as a as a nurse, right, you go to what's called MIMSO. I think it's military indoctrination for military service officers. Mm-hmm. Right. Sound right. Yes. And it's two weeks. It's two weeks. Okay, so you learn how to wear the uniform. You learn how to read your LES, your leave and earning statement. And you might, you learn how to salute and, you know, just the very, very, very very basics, you know, the very basics. So what the (laughs) heck did I know about military service? Right. But, you know, you hire nurses to be officers, of course, but, you know, your clinicians, you're, you're sitting, you're, you're providing patient care and helping our warriors heal and that sort of thing. So years later, fast forward, I, I, I got this job. I was the first female. I went from being a part-time medical person at the 121st Air Refueling Wing to being a full-time exec officer. And and uh, it was primarily an admin officer, but uh, my second commander, you know, pretty much let me know. He was like, what do nurses know about the military? You know, you went to a two-week MIMSO course. And I was like, well, sir, you know, you're you're actually kind of right. You know, I'm doing my best here. And um, so I had a steep, steep learning curve when I went into uh, full-time guard service and, and worked in an operational flying wing because I'd never been around you know, line officers. And at that point, I was essentially a line officer. And so uh, I had a female pilot friend. She graduated from the Air Force Academy and she would like roll her eyes at me when I would ask questions about flying. And she's like, Kathy, you've got to know this stuff. You know, you're <laughs> you're in a flying unit. And I'm like, okay, I'm trying. No, so it's anyway. funny you said that because my husband, who's also a veteran, you know, he can look up now and say, oh, that plate is a da-da-da-da-da. He, I mean, he can rattle it off. And I didn't know anything about planes. He's like, what kind of plane is that? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't fly it. I didn't maintain it. I didn't load it. I didn't yep. do anything with it, you know? Yep. So why should I know what it is? But I just think that's funny. Uh, so being a third generation veteran, so you were Air Force, your dad was Navy. Who was the other? Your a grandfather? My grandfather was Army. I'm not sure how long he served. I don't think it was very long, but 
uh, that's why I'm a third generation. That's pretty cool lineage, though. And just FYI, we were talking about this. I just found out I was second generation. Actually, I didn't realize I was second generation until I was I was reading your bio. So I thought that was pretty. That's pretty cool. I'm like second generation veteran. Yes, I'm all, well, I'm all right and, with that. And it's, it's, <laughs> it, it's it's something to kind of be excited about, or at least uh, notice and talk about, because so many of us who are exposed to military service do make that choice to go on and you know do our part, and so we're heavily influenced by that previous generation. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. So you do your 30 years, you go through transition. <clears throat> How was your transition out of the military? My, uh, my, my military service was really a huge mixed bag. I, as a, as a woman, I really wanted to complete a military career. So I started in 1981 and I ended in 2016 So I really only got 29 years of good service, but I had a seven-year break. So I I can't do, you know, public math, but the point (laughs) is that I was on active duty, in the reserve, in the guard. I was an IMA. I was full-time and I was part-time. So I had a lot of time, let's say, in those 30 years, those 30 good years of military service. I had a lot of time to do civilian jobs. Yes. Okay. So I started, I started a medical practice. I was a director of operations at Northwestern Mutual. I was a part-time occupational health nurse. And so I had been out in the civilian world on an ongoing basis. Right. And I was very active in my community. So my transition was not your typical active duty kind of transition. Right. Right. I'd been a chamber of commerce leader. I'd been a a volunteer and all kinds of things out in the civilian community. So I really had my foot, if you will, in both camps. And I think that's the the benefit of being a citizen soldier, being a reserve component uh, member. Right. Because you do have to manage both worlds. Right. So I, I think the best way I can answer that question, Kat, is that. I have had several civilian job interviews. My first career was nursing. My second career was public affairs. I did insurance. You know, so I've done you know different things. But some of the memories of transition-like stuff was that I, I was apprehensive. I remember applying for a medically related job, not nursing, but I I've, I very much was cognizant of the fact that here I am, a woman veteran. I want to try not to be too direct, too firm in my speaking approach. I didn't want to come across quote unquote bossy. And and yet I wanted to be, you know, confident and decisive, that sort of thing. But I had this little voice in the back of my head saying, okay, now we don't know what this interview panel thinks about military, thinks about women in the military. So just be cognizant of that and try not to come across very strong. Uh, I didn't get the job. I was disappointed, <laughs> but um, but that was not uncommon because, again, you know where where do where do the your best jobs come from? Word of mouth from someone who knows you and you know gives you a warm handoff or a warm referral. Absolutely. And I had very, I had very few, if any, 
warm. Actually, uh, when I worked, when I was the director of operations at Northwestern Mutual, my financial advisor, who I'd known for years and years and years, knew my work ethic, my character, my personality. He nominated me to be considered for that job, and I'd never done insurance. You know, um, you know, life insurance. Uh, I'd done health insurance, and I'd I'd run a small business, so I certainly had the skill set. But anyway, I got that job, frankly. Because I had a, a from a strong referral, yes. right? But we military we military people, we don't have that so often, you know. Well, I'm starting to understand that, and I believe that your next job is a referral from another veteran. The more ah. that I'm out there, I you know I truly believe that your resume. I don't care if it has veteran at the top. It's it, it to me it doesn't matter but i've seen so many veterans get jobs because of other veterans which absolutely is, yeah and that's going to lead me right into a uh, vanguard veteran so i was really so intrigued by this because i've been thinking this has been needed for so long so vanguard veteran is where you help employers acquire and keep veteran talent and the reason I'm excited to speak about this with you is because a lot of companies say, yes, we love veterans and we hire veterans, but there's no veteran community there. There's no veteran culture there. Maybe mm-hmm. there's one veteran, where's the rest of them? And so the veteran feels isolated again after going through mm-hmm. that transition, and then they end up leaving. So Speak to us a little bit and speak to our audience about how Vanguard Veteran came about, why you thought it was necessary, and and exactly, you know, how do you go about doing this for employers? Now that is a huge question, girlfriend. So I'll try to I'll try to break it down in pieces and parts. And if I'm talking too much and you want to ask me a question, please interject. Okay. okay. So so always I'll, I'll start with. What is Vanguard Veteran and how did it get started? How's that? Awesome. Vanguard Veteran. There you go. Vanguard Veteran. The mission of Vanguard Veteran is first and foremost, my life's calling. What we do is equip civilians to become veteran champions. So I have a large macro goal as a speaker to educate anyone on how they can go beyond thank you for your service in practical, meaningful ways that create the win-win. In other words, the win-win is promoting quality of life, workforce, and community. Because I believe that when a civilian gets to know a veteran, that both lives are enriched, that the that our citizen It's a lot of insight, wisdom, maybe even more appreciation for our way of life and for our freedom. So I fundamentally believe that our veterans enrich the lives of civilians who take the time to get to know them. Absolutely. It's a two-way street. Oh, it's so important. I totally agree with that. Yes. And, And okay. And so why it came about, the crowning achievement of my military career as a public affairs officer at the 121st Air Refueling Wing in Columbus, Ohio, where I started off as the exec officer, I had the opportunity at Rickenbacker to build a mission-driven community relations plan that focused on educating employers about the value of veteran talent and helping them 
really our bosses would say, we have to keep our employers on our national security team. Because as you know, after 9-11, the reserve component was deploying like no time in our nation's history. And so the needs of our service members, uh, you know, in this case, Army and uh, and Air, was was greater because, you know, 80% of our workforce was part-time military. So that meant that they either had a full-time civilian job, which paid their bills, or they were in college getting a degree. Well, either way, it's it's disruptive to be deployed. So we wanted our employers to not feel bound by USERA, the law that mandates that you keep the service member's job when they leave. We wanted our employers to feel like they were part of the team, that they had some sense of what the what the service member brings to the workforce, and that it maybe softened the blow a little bit when they left and helped them uh, have more and more commitment to keeping that person on the team because they were more and more valued. And so we started at the 121st and then the adjutant general of the higher air national guard, uh, uh, an army guy really valued what we were doing. And so wanted to do it statewide. And so myself and my team developed a never been done before outreach program to educate and engage civilians in support of troops and their families. And so my book covers about 20 of those mostly Ohioans who do practical, meaningful things that go beyond thank you for your service. We cover employers, healthcare providers, lawyers, educators, clergy, and general members of the community so that, you know, you don't have to be a Supreme Court justice in your state to make a difference. You can be a neighbor who knows that the family's deployed, that, you know, checks on the, the the family member left at home, who understands that a service member is struggling and how to approach that and 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 deal with that. And so when I retired in 2016, I just I just knew in my heart of hearts, Kat, that, you know, nobody was really doing this important work purposefully. Right now, right. America loves and appreciates our veterans. Absolutely. And there's what forty or forty five thousand nonprofits in this nation that are, you know, really rolling up their sleeves and trying to promote quality of life for our veterans. I mean, that is really awesome. But yes, whose is. job is it? Whose job is it, Kat, to on an ongoing basis to educate our citizenry about what it, about military culture, about you know, busting the myths of you know, everybody has PTSD, which is wrong, <laughs> right? Know, right. About, right? Yes. About, um, you know, how military service strengthens attributes that strengthens the civilian workforce. About, wow, did you know that not only our veterans strengthen the civilian workforce because of all the skills and attributes they learn in military service, but when they move into your community, the American Enterprise Institute did a study in 2015 and found that veterans are civic assets. The title of this present of this research was Veterans Are Broke No More, which, you know, you don't like that anyway. But, you know, the point <laughs> is we're touting the point is we're touting that veterans not only strengthen the workforce, but strengthen the community and their civic assets. We are civic assets because yes. we coach the football teams. We volunteer at church, right? We um, make charitable donations. We're we help our neighbor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> we, we help our neighbors. And of course, we take boating seriously. seriously. Yes. Right? Seriously. So I want to tell you all this because as my thinking advanced, I, and, and so when I retired, I was like, you know, I have to keep up this work, but I can't do all the work that our team was doing. So I narrowed it to employers and uh, clergy. And I'd like to talk about military ministry before before we leave here. But sure. um, as, as, as your veteran hiring concierge, anybody who's listening out there, if you're in a company, I offer speaking, training, consulting to help the company move from being veteran friendly to be veteran ready. If you want to start an employee resource group, you don't have one or you want to strengthen one, I can support you with that. If your civilian team needs military culture training, I'm, I'm your gal. If you want to develop a strategy to build local relationships, to do messaging, to have retention tactics that work, Vanguard Veteran can help you. Now, a key thing, I'll pause here for a minute. You have questions? I was just going to say that's a dangerous thing to say because you might end up being incredibly busy. <laughs> well, because all these organizations would know, be like, I want some, I want some. How do I do this? How do I do well, that? <laughs> and, and, and people pe- people do want some and they need some, yes. right? Yes, but, you know, I, I, am not a rec- I am not a recruiter. I am not a headhunter. So I don't guarantee placement of staff. But I basically, you know, the old the old um, uh, story about, you know, teach a man to fish. I, you know, I teach yes. the employer how to find the veteran talent, how to interview, how to assimilate and then retain that talent. And, and that long term helps that employer strengthen their workforce. Um, one other comment I want to get in there is that. As my thinking matured. I was thinking, gosh, we need a national PR campaign, right? A national PR campaign that somebody owns with staff, with funding, with sincerity and seriousness that's out there talking about all the great things that veterans do for our community. Now, I think America really already kind of appreciates that, but when we are worried about a pandemic, worried about a recession, worried about politics, worried about our day-to-day life. We are human and we forget that, you know, veterans have sacrificed a great deal for us, but that their attributes strengthen our workforce and their attributes strengthen our communities. And that myths and misconceptions aren't doing our veterans any favors. What is the truth out there about myths and misconceptions, right? Absolutely. So I think we I think we need a national PR campaign that somebody owns and funds and is serious. And then I also think that we need a a comprehensive and active program that supports fully post-military transition. Yeah. Instead of a five-day taps, instead of a five-day taps program, right? Right. And 400 and 40,000 nonprofits are all doing their own thing, which is awesome. But but this needs to be coordinated. It right. Because it's fragmented. It's well, the fragmented tax program and is it pushed- everyone's doing their own thing. I mean, if it was across the board and everyone was meeting the needs. But, you know, one TAPS program is doing this. Another TAPS program is doing uh-huh. that. Yeah. And yeah. It's, yeah. it's all over the place, just like you were saying. But I think a national campaign you know, to, to get it out there, I think is amazing. 
and and is well needed. But I think on the other end of that too, I've been telling veterans, especially women, but veterans in general, that when you go to an interview, if you get to that point, ask if there's a veteran culture. Ask how many veterans are hired. Ask how many are working there. How many are men versus women? And if they can't tell you, that's, I'm sorry, that that might not be the job for you. Right, right. And so uh, research shows that, first of all, uh, the Society of Human Resource Management Foundation found that 68% of employers find that veterans are better than, if not much better than, their their non-veteran counterparts. Yet, and the business case for hiring veterans is clear, veteran unemployment is consistently lower than civilian unemployment, yet employers, some employers, you know, are hesitant to invest the money, the time to really learn how to do it well. Uh, there's There was a study by Corn Ferry that found an international HR firm that found that um, about 70% of HR people don't have active messaging or outreach to the veteran population. I mean, that's really kind of where it starts. And, and you know, oftentimes it's hard for employers to even know who their veterans are because veterans don't like to report that sometimes. Absolutely. Uh, but those are great questions, Kat. Those are great questions mm-hmm. because it's easy to say you're veteran friendly. I mean, America <laughs> is veteran right, friendly, right? Right? <laughs> right? Absolutely. Right? <laughs> but... It's like but, a buzzword. Oh, to, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, we're veteran yeah. friendly. Oh, yeah. Okay. What does that mean but exactly? The, but the, but the neat part is in our society is that we are. I think there's more and more interest in being culturally competent because of all the kind of the you know Black Lives Matter and the riots and you know some of the some of the cu- cultural crises we've been experiencing over the last couple of years. Um, but but I contend that veteran hiring goes goes beyond, again, diversity and inclusion because we are highly diverse, right? Yes. Uh, and, you know, th- those those other groups, if you will, haven't raised their right hand and, you know, said, I'm willing to write a blank check to sacrifice my life for this country. Right. Whereas, whereas veterans, veteran, veterans have. So veteran hiring is more than diversity inclusion, and it's more than corporate citizenship or corporate social responsibility. And it's, and it's not just about, you know, doing it for goodwill. It's about, you know, understanding the business case, taking it seriously and figuring out how to do it. So you, so the the company and the company ends up benefiting, right? Because if we're absent, if we're absent less, and more productive, cost savings can be generated. Well, you have to speak the language too. You have to be able to appeal to a veteran. You know, as as I've gotten older, you know, veterans have a high BS meter. You know, yeah, I love <laughs> that. Selling them, a, a, you know, be like, yeah, okay, I'm I'm out. But while we're on the the subject, let's talk a little bit about your book, um, Beyond Thank You for Your Service. And I love that because I don't want to say I hate the phrase, thank you for your service. Not that I hate it. It's kind of missing something. You know what I mean? Mm. You say, oh, thank you for your service. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay. I love the the phrase, thank you for wearing the uniform. Because if, oh, I, yeah. if I said that to you, if I'm a civilian and mm-hmm. I said that mm-hmm. to you, what, what does that say? That means that I, as a civilian, understand the sacrifice that you made to wear the uniform. 
And so thank you for your service. Just sounds like it's miss, you know, it's kind of like, eh, it's missing something. Kind of. If you, it, 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 it's not meant to be empty, but sometimes it can be perceived as not super sincere. I've heard exactly. some veterans, you know, sh- share, share that with me. So I love, I love what you've said. And uh, I think the first time you told me that, oh, I'm going to steal that from you. I think that's really good. Thank you. Yeah, it's really good. Thank you for wearing your uniform because that's the whole essence of the book cat is that we need to take seriously the sacrifices that our military connected people, families, of course, included, have made for this country. And, you know, a a, a verbal appreciation is certainly a lot better than what our Vietnam veterans got. And that, you know, we are certainly grateful for that. But gosh, darn, you know, if, if you can do nothing more than try to develop a relationship with a veteran, be sincere, listen, initiate conversations, offer to help, and then follow through, you know, there's a good chance that you will have that trusting relationship and you will find ways to help them. Not the least of which is, you know, for someone like me who lived in 20 different communities before the age of 35, what do you think I need help with most? Connection. 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 You know, uh, referrals to groups of people I might want to meet, referrals to employers who might be interested in exploring my job candidacy, Uh, you know, social connections. I mean, all kinds of connections. Let me get assimilated into my community because, you know, active duty people in particular, I mean, they have when they move back home, they have very few connections or when they move to a brand new community. They're complete strangers, oh, right? Complete now, strangers, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, we can we know how to meet people and we know how to find our way, but just think if you had aware, alert, proactive citizens who were acting in ways that were helpful, just think how much nice how much nicer that would be. So that that policy that I talked about, you know, of course needs to include DOD and the VA. But let's educate groups of our citizenry as part of that nationwide comprehensive post-military transition policy. How beautiful would that be? That would be gorgeous. I think that would would. be awesome. I was just, I was going to tell you, I I was in a grocery store a couple months ago and I saw, I think he was a captain in a flight suit and I started geeking out. I was like, oh my God. I was like, and I want to go up to him and I was like, no, because I don't want to freak him out. (laughs) I get, but it, it was so I get cool it. just to see it. Yeah. So, yeah. With your book, who? What's your audience for your book? Is it civilians who want to know more about how yes. to approach or how to help um, veterans in their community? It's for any citizen who would like to become a veteran champion, because there's a chapter in there for community members. There's a chapter in there for employers. There's a chapter for healthcare providers and lawyers and um, and educators and then clergy. C- can we talk a little bit about military outreach now? Sure. Okay. So in this chapter, I feature, again, primarily Ohioans who start military ministries inside their congregation as a volunteer. These are people who have never put on, they've never worn the uniform. They want to give back. And so 
that's what a military ministry is. If if you're a person of faith, regardless of your, you know, background in faith, a veteran, a military spouse, a um anybody who loves our military and has a little bit of baseline knowledge and wants to give back to the military can start a military ministry. And in essence, it's a group you start inside your place of worship. You bring military people together. You build relationships, trusting relationships. You give them a safe place to share stories, to share concerns, to just feel understood. That sense of belonging is huge, especially when many of our military people are so mobile, right? Yes. So so we provide practical support, meaning, okay, um, if your parents are living with you and you need a break, can I come watch, help watch your parents for you for a while or, you know, any kind of practical support and then promote spiritual resiliency, whatever that means to you. For me, that means Christianity. For me, that means praying to God, asking for support, but you do this all in partnership with the clergy at your place of worship. So there's really three things you need to know to be a volunteer military ministry leader. One, you need to understand a little bit about military culture. Okay. Two, you need to know a little bit about leadership and how to bring groups together, how to listen, how to encourage, how to communicate. And three, uh, have an understanding of what your veteran community resources are locally, because you're not there as a counselor. You're not there to fix things. You're there as a facilitator. And yes. so you need to know your limits. You need to know your limits and, uh, you know, respond to the needs of the group uh, globally and individually yes. and refer them on, refer them on when they need help. And so I would love to, uh, I, I want to invite you to you know get the book and read that chapter, but I also offer a monthly coaching call the first Sunday of every month at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have any interest, I encourage you to uh, register on Eventbrite. It's called Military Ministries Matter. And I tell you what, what a transformative opportunity that is. I could tell you some stories that bring tears to your eyes from my military ministry called Vet Connect in Arizona. It's just such a big gap. Uh, and and anybody as a volunteer can do this good work with, with just a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of support. And that's what I'm here to offer. Well, I love what you're doing. I just, you know, I, we've spoken before and I just think that, that more of this is needed, that you're just one person, but yeah. I think this needs to spread like wildfire throughout all of the United States. Oh, how is it we can help, number one, and where can we find you, number two, if people want to reach out? Well, I'm so grateful that you even gave me a chance to talk about this stuff. That's really my life's work and my passion. Well, I can um, hear the passion I would in your voice. Yeah, I can I, hear it. <laughs> I, I know I, I know I talk really fast and I'm sorry for that, but um, I I understand that most of your audience is veterans, military connected people, and please, please, um, if if you're a person of faith, a person of faith, pray about it. If you're curious, please reach out to me. My email is Kathy with a K, Kathy at VanguardVeteran.com. Kathy at VanguardVeteran.com. And, you know, Vanguard Veterans spelled just like it sounds. 
but I would I would love it if you would consider just learning more and you know considering how you might be able to support military members in your congregation but guess what once you start this fellowship group if you will people in the community find out about it you can do outreach and bring more people to it it um i contend cat that these volunteer led military ministries will help curb veteran suicide why because isolation is the precursor yes. more often than not isolation people who are isolated you know tend to to go that way and so if you can give them a sense of belonging encourage them to participate let them know that you care about them and Connection. just lead, yes yes and just lead with your heart and be authentic and be a good person just i mean i i've experienced it 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 it's it, it it brings tears to your eyes what you can do in very small ways to enrich people's lives who may or may not be struggling people being military connected people you create a safe place for them with a spiritual underpinning with your pastor um pastor's support well, Kathy, thank you so much for being um, on the Sisters in Service podcast. I will make sure that all your information is in the show notes so that people know how to reach out to you. Um, if you're a civilian and you're listening to this or you know of an organization that hires veterans that needs to know about this, please get in contact with Kathy because you you heard the passion in her voice about this. It, it's a passion project. I won't say it's a project. It's a, it's a lifetime passion, it sounds yes. like, that yes, she's yes. trying to do this. And so for all my sisters in service, please stay safe. Take care of each other until next time. And it's never too late to start your impossible.